Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everyone, depending on where you are today, and welcome back to the Forbidden Bookshelf Podcast. My name is Kate, and this is Episode 5. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the bookshelf. I am so, so, so excited to have you all back with me this week. Um, I'd like to say welcome to all of our new listeners and welcome back to all of our our old listeners. Um, I really hope that everybody is doing well in these, uh, in the past couple weeks. I hope everybody's staying cool and hydrated. Um, I, I know it's not super unbearably hot where I am currently, but I do know that there are several heat waves hitting other places and I just hope that everyone stays stay stay safe and smart out there in the heat um but in other news by now you have probably seen our new podcast logo what do you guys think um I am in love with it I love the new color scheme and I like that it's a lot more readable now it's a lot more noticeable a lot more attention grabbing And I just think it's really nice. Um, But other than that, I do not have any more updates. So I say let's jump right into the story. This week, we're going to be covering a cryptid. If if you all know me, you know I love cryptids. I'm all things cryptids. I, I find myself doing a lot of research on them just for no reason at all, just to just to find out more about them. I was on I was literally on the Wikipedia um, list, their um, their homepage list of um, of all the cryptids that are listed on Wikipedia, and this was one of the first ones that I saw that I hadn't researched yet, and I read a read a brief snippet of the entry, and it sounded super super interesting, so. This week, we're going to be telling the story of the Bunyip, a mythological creature from Australian and Aboriginal mythology. Um, The Bunyip is storied to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, and riverbeds, and watering holes. So the difficult thing with the Bunyip is the descriptions of the appearance are they very extremely wide. There's no one set description of what, of what the bunyip looks like. Um, there was a man named George French um, Angus. He was an English explorer and naturalist. Um, he collected a description of the bunyip as a quote-unquote water spirit from the Morundi people of the Murray River before 1847, and he stated that it, it was, quote, much dreaded by them, meaning the natives, it inhabits the Murray, but they have some difficulty describing it. Its most usual form is said to be that of an, of an enormous starfish, end quote. So um, there was an outline image of a bunyip called the um, Chalicum bunyip, and it was carved into the bank of the Fiery Creek by Aboriginal people. And it was first recorded by the Australian... Australasian, excuse me, yes, Australasian newspaper in 1851. 
And according to this report, the Bunyip had been speared after killing an Aboriginal man. Antiquitarian uh, Renale Johns, excuse me, my pronunciation is terrible this morning. He claimed that until the mid-1850s, the Aboriginal people made, made a, quote, habit of visiting the place annually and retracing the outlines of the figure, which is about 11 paces long and four paces in extreme breadth, end quote. The outline image, however, doesn't exist anymore. It can't be found. A man named Robert Burrow Smith, he was an Australian geologist, he devoted 10 pages of his book, Aborigines of Victoria, to the Bunyip, but he concluded, quote, in truth, little is known among the people respecting its form, covering, or habits. They appear to have been in, much, in so much dread of it as to have been unable to take note of its characteristics, end quote. The Bunyips that have presumably been seen by witnesses generally fit two main descriptions. 60% of sightings report the bunyip to resemble seals or swimming dogs, and 20% report a long-necked creature with a small head. The remaining reports are ambiguous and completely beyond categorization. The description of the seal dog is most often reported alongside descriptors like four to six feet long with a shaggy black or brown coat and these bunyips, according to the report, have round heads resembling a bulldog, large prominent ears, a lack of tail, and sea or, or otter-like whiskers. The long-necked variety, however, excuse me, is said to be between 5 and 15, 15 feet long, which is a pretty large gap left for interpretation. And it's said to have black or brown fur, large ears, small tusks, and a head like a horse or an emu, which, in my mind, a horse and an emu are two very different animals. Um, it's also said to have an elongated maned neck about three feet long with many folds of skin and a horse-like tail. Now, minus the horse-like tail, to me that sounds, well, minus the tail and the tusks, that sounds a lot to me like um, the Loch Ness Monster with the, the leathery skin, with um, the long neck, and the horse-like head, but then you add a horse-like tail and tusks and it becomes something different entirely. Um, the Aboriginal people um, have described the Bunyip as being amphibious, nocturnal, and inhabiting lakes, rivers, and swamps. Um, also, according to the Aboriginal mythology, bunyips can swim very fast and with the assistance of fins and flippers. They have a very loud and roaring call. They're said to feed on crayfish, but there are some legends that portray them as bloodthirsty predators of humans, specifically women and children, which we'll talk about an example of that later in the episode. The eggs of the, of the bunyip are allegedly laid in platypus nests. Fun fact, the bunyip appears, is said to appear in the dreams of, I'm sorry, I'm not even going to, to begin to pronounce this name, um, it's a name of 
some of the of, of a group of Aborigines people. I can spell it for you, but I'm not even going to begin to give you the the white person um, pronunciation of it. So I'll go ahead and spell it for you. N G A R R I N D J E R I people. Um, it appeared to them as a water spirit called the Mullewonk. And it would punish those who took more than their fair share of fish from the waterways, or it would take away children if they got too close to the water. Um, the stories of the dreams um, taught practical means of ensuring long-term survival for these people, embodying care for country, as well as, a fel- as, well as for a fellow man. Now, the name Bunyip is most often translated by Aboriginal Australians today as devil or evil spirit. This translation, though, may not accurately represent the whole of the Bunyip in the the pre-contact Aboriginal mythology. Or its possible origins were written before accounts were even made. Some more modern sources... Um, they do allude to a linguistic connection between the Bunyip and um, the Bunjil. The Bunjil is, quote, a mythic great man who formed the mountains, rivers, men, and animals. The word Bunyip first appeared in the Sydney Gazette in 1812. It was used by James Ives to describe, quote, a large black animal like a seal, with the terrible voice which creates terror amongst the natives, end quote. By the 1850s, Bunyip was also used as, quote, a synonym for imposter, pretender, humbug, and the like, end quote, in the broader Australian community. The word Bunyip can still be found in a number of Australian contexts, including the names of places like the Bunyip River and the town of Bunyip, Victoria. So now I'm going to try and discuss the, um, the origins of the Bunyip, but various attempts have, have been made over the past 150 years to understand the origins of the Bunyip as a physical creature and even a cryptid. So we're going to go over a couple of those attempts to explain the origins. In 1933, Charles Fenner suggested in his, in his writings that the myth of the Bunyip could be explained in the behavior of seals making their way up the Murray and the Murray and Darling rivers. Fenner provided examples of seals found as far inland as Overland Corner, Loxton, and uh, Conargo, excuse me. And he reminded his readers that the smooth black or brown fur, prominent eyes, and bellowing cry are characteristics of of many seals, specifically southern elephant seals and leopard seals. Dr. George Bennett of the Australian Museum suggested in 1871 that the Bunyip's origin could be a cultural memory of extinct Australian marsupials, like, once again, excuse my pronunciation, the Diprotodon, Zygomaturus, Nototherium, and Palochestes. Palochestes, that might be more correct. Palochestes. More recently, in a 2017 article in the Australian Bird Life, Carl Brandt suggested the Aboriginal encounters with the, su- 
with the southern cassowary could have also inspired the myth of the bunyip. The first written description of the bunyip from 1845 reported it as a creature that laid pale blue eggs of, of immense size, possess, um, excuse me, possessed deadly claws and powerful hind legs, a brightly colored chest, and an emu-like head. These are all characteristics that are shared with the Australian cassowary. As the creature's bill was described as having serrated projections, each, quote, like the bone of the stingray, end quote. This bunyip was associated with the indigenous people of, of far north Queensland, renowned for their spears tipped with stingray barbs and their proximity to cassowary Australian range. Another notable association to the bunyip is the shy Australian bittern. During the breeding season, the male call of the marsh-dwelling bird is described as a low-pitched boom, hence occasionally called the bunyip bird. Now, to me, there seems to be a pretty big um, inconsistency, at least with these two um, suggestions, because in my understanding, the bunyip is, a, is an aquatic creature, or at least amphibian, living in rivers and creeks. And for these two suggestions to be birds, it just seems a little, a little inconsistent, but that's just my account. That's just my opinion, but we'll go ahead and move on from, from that. Excuse me. Um, so now we're going to go into, um, the accounts of bunyips from your early European settlers. So during the settlement of, of Australia by Europeans, it became pretty universally understood that the bunyip was just an animal that awaited discovery. It was an animal that hadn't been documented properly, and as the Europeans were pretty unfamiliar with the sights and sounds of the animals of Australia, they just believed that the bunyip was just another strange animal from Australia that they sometimes attributed odd sounds and animal cries to. Some scholars have also suggested that the lore of the bunyip could have also been reinforced by imported European folklore, like that of the Irish puka. The puka is a creature of Celtic folklore, and it's considered to be a bringer of both good and bad fortune that could shapeshift and take the form of horses, goats, cats, dogs, and hares. One of the largest numbers of bunyip sightings occurred between 1840 and 1860, specifically in the southeastern colonies of Victoria, New South Wales, and South Australia. And I'm just going to cover a few of what I think are the most interesting. I'm not going to go into all of them. Um, the first we're going to talk about is the Wellington Cave fossils. In the Wellington Caves in the mid-1830s, fossilized bones of, quote, some quadruped much larger than an ox or buffalo, end quote, was discovered by Bushman George Rankin and later by Thomas Mitchell. John Dunmore, a Sydney reverend, Claimed, to find, claimed the find to be, um, quote, convincing proof of the deluge, end quote, referring, of course, to the biblical flood. But British um, autonomist, excuse me, British anatomist, Sir Richard Owen, identified the fossils as gigantic marsupials, nototherium, and diprotodon, excuse me. Those are two of the creatures that I mentioned earlier. At the same time, many settlers observed that 
quote, all natives throughout these districts have a tradition of a very large animal having at one time existed in the large creeks and rivers, and by many of and by many it is said that such an animal still exists, end quote. In January of 1846, a peculiar skull was taken by a settler from the banks of the Murrum Murrum Bidgee, excuse my pronunciation again. Um, it's a river near um, Bal Balrandald. I'm so sorry, in New South Wales. Most of the initial reports just suggested that it was a skull of something unknown to science, but the person who found it remarked, quote, all the natives to whom it was shown called it a bunyip, end quote. By July of 1847, several experts had identified the skull as the deformed fetal skull of a foal or a calf. Still, the purported bunyip skull was placed on display in the Australian Museum in Sydney for two days, during which visitors flocked to see it, of course. The Sydney Morning Herald reported that many people spoke out about the bunyip, about the quote bunyip sightings after seeing the skull. Reports also used the phrase kind prady as well as bunyip. In March of that same year, Either a bunyip or a huge platypus was sighted sunning himself in the Yarra River, just opposite of the Customs House in Melbourne. A crowd gathered immediately, and three men set off in a boat um, to catch the creature, but it disappeared when they were just a yard away from it. So, we're going to talk about the final account that I'm going to discuss with you guys is the accounts of William Buckley. William Buckley was an escaped convict, and he wrote an account in his 1852 biography of his 13 years of living with the, excuse me again, my pronunciation is awful, Wathaurong people. Please, I know all my pronunciations are terrible, white person pronunciations. If if any of you know the correct way that these should all be pronounced, please send me a message or an email and I will gladly correct myself. Um, William's account records, quote, in Lake Mudawari, as well as in most most of the others inland, it is, is a very extraordinary amphibious animal, which the natives call bunyip, end quote. His account suggests that he saw this creature on several occasions. He adds, quote, I could never see any part except the back, which appeared to be covered with feathers of a dusky gray color. It seemed to be about the size of a full-grown calf. I could never learn from any of the natives that they had seen either the head or the tail." End quote. Buckley's account also claimed that the creature was common in the, in the Barwon River, and Sisa claimed that he heard of an aboriginal woman being killed by one. He emphasizes that the bunyip was also believed to have supernatural powers. But I couldn't find anything further on this report that, that the bunyip somehow now has supernatural powers. Now, if it is just a mytholo mythological creature from Aborigines uh, mythology, then that, of course, I would understand. Um, 
as is the case with many uh, cultural mythologies. But if if we're considering this a real cryptid, then I I have a hard time under I have a hard time believing that it has all of a sudden has supernatural powers as a as a cryptid. So the bunyip has had many interpretations in popular culture and fiction. It was written into literature in tales appearing in the 19th and 20th centuries, one of which being the earliest known is a story in Andrew Lang's The Brown Fairy Book, published in 1904, and the well-known Australian author Colin Thiel wrote Gloop the Gloomy Bunyip, an Australian, or excuse me, illustrated children's book published in 1962. The character Alexander Bunyip Created, was created by children's author and illustrator Michael Salmon, and that character first appeared in print in The Monster That Ate Canberra, published in 1972. Salmon featured Bunny Up the character in many other books, and he adapted his work as a live-action television series, Alexander Bunyip's Billabong. A statue of Alexander Bunyip was installed in front of the... Uh, excuse my pronunciation once again, in front of the Gungalin Library in 2011. In 1992, the role-playing game Werewolf the Apocalypse appropriates the Bunyip legend as having the Bunyip be a tribe of Australian native guru, or werewolves. However, they are not actually playable in the game, as according to the game's lore, they were driven to extinction by the European werewolves during the colonization of Australia. In 2009, Bunyips, um, they appeared as the focus cryptid in an episode of The Secret Saturdays. However, in that episode, they were depicted as small troublemaking creatures instead of large aquatic, possibly monsters. In 2010, um, the Bunyips also appeared in Naomi Novik's fantasy novel, Tongues of Serpents, and in 2019, the Bunyip is among the titans that are monitored by Monarch in the film Godzilla, King of Monsters. In the film, Titanus Bunyip, Bunyipus, excuse me, Titanus Bunyipus is a giant daikaju that appears briefly on a monitor and is labeled as a protector character. And thus concludes the story of the of Australia's Bunyip. What a great note to end on with uh, Godzilla, King of Monsters. I've never personally seen the movie, but I went and looked at some of the at some of the concept art for Titanus Bunyip, and it looks pretty similar to how it's described, um, uh, mythologically at least. It's it looks pretty similar. However, like I mentioned before, the difficult part with with the bunyip is there's no set description of what it looks like. Um, but anyways, I really hope you guys enjoyed this story. Like I said before, I am personally a huge fan of cryptids. You know, like Mothman, Bigfoot, Jersey Devil, all my personal favorites. And if you guys have any suggestions of other cryptids I should cover, please let me know. I'm always happy, happy to tell more cryptid stories. Um, I might just keep going back to the Wikipedia page of, of the list of cryptids and just, just keep picking them out one by one. But I would love to, I would love to cover your guys' suggestions of what your favorite cryptids are. Um, 
But until then, that concludes our episode this week. Thank you all so, so, so much for listening. If you're listening on Spotify, please consider shooting us a follow there. And if you're listening on other any other platform, please consider hitting follow or subscribe or whatever you can do to help support this podcast. It really, really helps. I promise it does. Um, and please head over to our social medias and send us a follow there as well. We're currently only on Instagram and Twitter. But if you'd like to see us on other podcasts or, excuse me, other platforms, please let me know. I'd be happy to make other accounts. Um, If you would like to support this podcast further, and I really hope you do, Patreon is the place to do it. There are $5 and $10 tiers to gain access to bonus content and early early access to episodes. I've been scheming some new ideas to do for for patrons, but without patrons, there's... I, I have nothing to do on there. Um... I promise you guys, your support on there helps so much. So if you'd like to support us a little bit more, please head over there and um, and please uh, become a patron. Um, I've decided that once we do start getting patrons, I want to either start dedicating episodes to patrons or just shout out pa- shout out some patrons in each episode. If that's something you're up for or if that's something you're into, please let me know or... Go become a patron on Patreon. Um, if you have suggestions for further episodes or just a comment or question, shoot me an email at forbiddenbookshelfpod at gmail.com. And I want to thank you all so, so, so much for listening. If you could, just, it helps so much. Just share this podcast as much as you can with anybody that you talk to. I mean, every little bit helps to push us even further to help too and it keeps pushing me to keep creating more episodes for you guys i really love love doing this even with with just a few people listening i still love to do this for you guys but every little bit of support counts but thank you all so 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 much for listening this week and stay creepy my friends (music) 